welcome to Board Game Famous, the board gaming podcast that was secretly the traitor the whole time. I'm your host, David, and I'm joined, as always, with my co-host, Michael. Howdy, howdy. So, David, what you been playing? So, of all the games that I've gotten to play lately, the one that I wanted to highlight the most is Isle of Cats. I got to play that for the first time. That's a good one. That's a really good one. And I'm, I'm, it's a polyomino-style game where you take funky-shaped pieces... You lay them on your board, try and get them to fit as best as you can. And it has the most bonkers theme that I can think of. It doesn't make any sense. So when you look at the cover, I was just like, oh, it's cats laying on the deck of a ship. You you found an island of cats and they're stretching out in the sun. No, no. Vesh Darkhand is coming to destroy the world. And he's starting with this island of cats. So he's essentially Cruella de Vil, but of the board game world. It's just like... I'm going to wreck this island first and then everywhere else. And you got to save those cats. It's one of those examples of where if you played that board game and then told the players what the theme of that board game was, they'd look at you and be like, are you sure? Are you sure? <laughs> it's it's all these cute, cute little illustrations of cats that you fit on your board and everything's light and fun, but the round marker is a black ship with a bloody handprint on the sails, and it looks so metal. It doesn't belong in the game at all. I love Euro games. They don't typically have like that that strong of a theme. It's typically just, ooh, trading in the Mediterranean. And this, I can really appreciate that this game took the theme way out into left field. That is definitely uh, probably one of, one of my more favorite polyomino games. I've played Isle Cats several times, and the board game group that meets up at the board game cafe, one of my friends, she brings her copy of Isle of Cats almost every single week. And inevitably, if she brings it, someone will end up playing it. And she doesn't want to be the person to teach it over and over again. But it seems like every other week I turn around and I see her playing it again because it's that good of a game. And everyone who plays it seems to enjoy it. Oh, yeah, I really, really had a good time with it. So, Michael, what have you been playing? I've played a few games, but the one game that I really want to talk about that I was excited to play is Ankh, which is the third in Eric M. Lang's mythology trilogy. I guess that's the best way to describe it. So he started with Blood Rage, uh, then he had Rising Sun, and now Ankh. So it went from, you know... Norris Viking theme to Japanese mythology theme to now Egyptian theme. And so like the other two, this is an area control game uh, where you're set around the Nile and the Nile Delta and you have these gods of Egyptian mythology walking around commanding troops and building temples and monuments and that kind of stuff and trying to control the area. Now, one of the things that I think it does really interestingly is the fact that it has these regions. The number of regions you start with is determined by the player count. And as time goes on, you subdivide those regions. And so you get more regions to fight over, but they're smaller. And it makes it, uh, it, makes it a really interesting board game. I've only played it once. I ended up winning. And that's important for the fact that it has a mechanic of merging the two lowest players together at a certain point of the game. So at a certain point of the game, the two players with the worst score... Basically, the the lowest god player, they discard all their pieces and then they merge with the second to last player. And then they work together to speed up. 
then after another point of time, if you're still in the red zone on the scoring track, then there's player elimination. But the end of the game happens soon after that. So I would like to play the game more to see how, how that played out. But overall, I really enjoyed the area control. You have very similar powers, but each god has unique powers. Like the god that I was playing had the ability to play two combat cards during a combat as opposed to a single. Have you played all of that trilogy? I have played all of that trilogy. In order, one, I would have to go back and play it again. But I think I like them in newest to oldest order. I like Ankh the best, then Rising Sun, and then Blood Rage. And I know a lot of people love Blood Rage to the point where they don't even know that Rising Sun exists. And it's another area control game from Eric M. Lang, but I like Rising Sun better than Blood Rage. <laughs> I haven't had a chance to play Rising Sun or Ankh yet, but I love Blood Rage, so I was just curious. How did the players who were in last and second to last feel about the merge? Uh, I, I had seen several reviews of the game, and that was, from what I understand, was the weakest part of the game. Uh, like I like I said, I didn't experience it. Because you were too good? Because I was too good. But I would love to play more games so that I end, I end up in that kind of situation. I think every single player sitting at the table needs to be made aware of if you don't play good enough you're gonna fall behind and it's not gonna be as fun i think it's a little bit more cutthroat as compared to his previous area control games in the trilogy but uh i think that definitely needs to be clear like yes i can see that as a valid criticism and i think that needs to be explicitly clear from the beginning i don't think the two players had an issue with it because i played a five-player game I think they were a little bummed out about how far behind they were to the compared to the other three of us mm -hmm. in the first place. Ah, I see. But it's one of those games where if you like plastic figurines, they're beautiful, they're huge. You know, everyone will come up and ask what you're playing. The person I played with, he backed it on Kickstarter, and so he had everything, including the uh, neoprene map. It was very nice. I know we've talked about. Uh, deluxe components in, in previous editions of this podcast <laughs> it was tactically it was a very good playing experience Ooh, it, it always feels nice to get on it it feels nice to get your hands on a well-made game absolutely and mechanically it was also great too michael have you been playing anything else possibly something on the road to the 100 yeah, while I was on uh, vacation, I bought something that was on the uh, road to the 100 as of April, <laughs> whatever. I, I've been I've been following that cult of the new too much, but I finally got back to playing one of those uh, uh, classics. I almost said old, but it's not that old. It's only seven years old. And that is uh, Uwe Rosenberg's Patchwork, which is another polyomino game. I, I know I just mentioned polyominoes and how much I love them. I think uh, this and Cartographers and Silver and Gold, so this makes it my third polyomino game. Yeah, I bought it whenever I was on vacation up in the mountains. I, I was camping and did a day trip down to Asheville. And while I was in Asheville, visited this very nice board game shop. I don't know about you, if you like to uh, visit board game shops whenever you're in a random town. Every place I go to. Yeah. So it was in an old house, uh, not too far from downtown. The main floor was turned into the shop and the upstairs, all the, all the rooms were private playing rooms that you could rent out for D&D, board gaming, war gaming, whatever. And so went there, saw Patchwork, 
It was for a decent price. Bought it, rented a room, went upstairs, and immediately played it. And wondered if I was doing absolutely horrible because I texted you <laughs> saying <laughs> that uh, between the two of us, our scores were negative two and negative five. And if that, that is- was normal... Yeah, that's a that's a very normal score for your first game. It it masquerades as this light quilting theme. Oh, you're going to have a lovely cozy time. It is a cutthroat polyomino game where you fill out your quilt to the best of your ability without forgetting about those buttons. It's yeah. all about the buttons. Yeah, patchwork is you, you have a square quilt and you have all these quilt pattern shapes that you're trying to buy. And uh, fit into your quilt square quilt pattern within the boundaries without having too many negative spaces, maximizing your button income. Because it's all about the buttons. It's always been about the buttons. Which I never understood. Are, are buttons an integral part of quilts? Ask your wife. <laughs> <laughs> I think she's the biggest expert out of all of us. So Patchwork is the polyomino style game that I've definitely played the most it's just, it's two players only, but it's so quick to get to the table. It's easy setup, easy easy to play. It's, it's a, I think it deserves its spot in the 100. Oh yeah, I, I, def, I definitely agree. So I bought this, I bought it eight days ago and I've played it five times, so. Wow. Yeah. I mean, it doesn't take that long to play, it's just, I enjoyed it so much, I'm just like, alright, let's get to the table, let's get to the table. Like, <laughs> let's play. I need those buttons. I'm all about those buttons. <laughs> I think we've uh, we've upgraded our our copy of it to actually to have actual buttons instead of the cardboard punchouts. I saw someone uh, posted on Reddit where they sewed the pieces. So the polyomino pieces, they sewed them like each individual shape with the timer of how far you move on the timer track and the buttons with like all the same values, all the same shapes. They sewed an entire set. Does it fit on the same board? Yes interesting yeah i know some people really like that game yeah it's it's tight it's clean it's cutthroat (laughs) it is cutthroat if you play cutthroat i don't play that that cutthroat with ellen because i don't i don't think she would play it with me that much if i did that's a discussion for later about board game boundaries (laughs) oh yeah (laughs) (laughs) i i play way too many board games to care about winning all the time so i am not mean i am not aggressive in the game and this fortnite's game of the fortnight is azul Designed by Michael Kiesling and published by Next Move Games. So David, what do you think about this game on the Fortnite? Azul is a tile drafting game where you are picking up these acrylic tiles from what are called factories. And when you when you take these tiles, you have to take all of the same color. And they're all these beautiful colors. Most of them have an, a, an intricate pattern on them. Really makes it pop off the table. Whenever you go to one of these factories, you have to pick up all the tiles of the same color and put them on your board. And you're trying to fit them into slots of one, two, three, four, or five. And once you fill up one of those slots, you can slide it over into your main board. And as you're sliding over these tiles, you're scoring these points. It's an interesting drafting game because every tile has to be taken each round. And if there's not enough room on your board to fit these tiles, 
they crack, they shatter, and they score you negative points in that round. So there's a lot of tension in this game where you're trying to take the tiles you need when you need them to make sure that you don't end up with four, five, six tiles you can't place that round. Yeah, so it has a little bit of a press-your-luck mechanic where you are wanting exactly what you want, only what you want, no garbage, but if you wait too long, you might be stuck with only garbage. So taking tiles at the opportune time during drafting is key. Another reason you want to take tiles at an opportune time is the tiles score based on uh, rows and columns. So you're trying to build your intricate pattern up with in a specific order to score the most points. So Michael, how do yeah. you feel about Azul? So funny story. I I bought Azul for a girl I once dated for Christmas. And so I bought it. I put it in a box. You know, wrapped it. Yes, I put a board game box in another box. <laughs> <laughs> wrapped it. And uh, whenever I went to see this girl for Christmas, I gifted it to her. She was excited. So later we uh, went to play it. And that's when I realized that I had bought Azul Stained Glass and not... Oh, you bought the sequel? (laughs) I bought the sequel, not the original Azul. (laughs) (laughs) So I didn't actually play it until a couple years later. (laughs) You said this game came out in 2017? Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, I think Azul Stained Glass came out in 2018? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, so Azul came out in 2017. I've heard only good things about it, so I pop on down to the store, and I just see Azul. Don't read too much, because that's classic Michael. He, he doesn't read. Uh, <laughs> I see Azul, <laughs> grab the box. I gifted it, and it was the wrong edition. Uh, <laughs> is it as fun? Maybe not. So I ended up actually playing Azul probably a year after that. For the furry first time. And I really enjoyed it. I was brought in by how pretty it is. There's something about the tiles having simple geometric patterns. Because it's you know it's supposed to mimic the tile patterns of Moorish Spain. If that is the correct term to use. I don't think so. It's Portuguese. Well, Portugal was controlled by the Moors. But let me pull that up real quick. And if you don't like this podcast, listeners, at least you learned something. Okay. So, from the rule books, introduced by the Moors, Azuleos, originally white and blue ceramic tiles, were fully embraced by the Portuguese. When their king, Manuel I, on a visit to Alhambra Palace, another fun game, in southern Spain, was mesmerized by the stunning beauty of Moorish decorative tiles. Okay, so it's it's inspired by the... Moorish palaces? Yes, specifically Alhambra, which is another board game. Uh, (laughs) But yeah, uh, I was drawn in by the beautiful ceramic geometric patterns with bright colors and contrasting. But when you sit down and you start placing those tiles into either the one row or the two row or the three row, and then you get stuck and you start having tiles fall into the, the naughty bin at the very bottom of your board, that scores you negative points. And you're ending up with too many tiles that you're just wasting. It is deceptively calm with its very simple theme. I find it stressful, but I enjoy it. I personally don't have a copy, but I've played it uh, many, many times with friends. And uh, it's one of those games that they don't, people don't bring every single week to board game night. But once or twice a year, 
we get that itch to break it out again it's nice and quick it's not that hard to play it's a lot of fun so azul for me was one of those games that i just i just understood it clicked with me and that actually hurt the game itself i could see how the drafting worked how the timing and the pacing worked and because i just understood how the game worked from right from the beginning I think I won my first eight or nine games. Like, I just, I was just really good at the game. And to me, it was boring. And just like, oh, I get what I'm supposed to do. That's me and Gizmos, because I've never lost a game of Gizmos. You've never lost a game of Gizmos. I just have this inherent gut feeling of when I'm supposed to draft tiles to avoid taking all of one color at the very end and making sure all the t- and all those tiles break, scoring me negative points. I, I understood how to build out the pattern, and so I always did really well at it. And because of that... Have you ever gotten a perfect score? N- I don't know what a perfect score would be in that. I believe 100 is the highest you can get. I've never gotten a perfect score, and I have lost. I have since lost the game. You all just lost the game. I'm not saying anything to that. <laughs> shout out, shout out to the early 2000s. I'm not in middle school anymore. <laughs> <laughs> On top of that, there was another game that came out at roughly the same time as Azul that um, didn't get quite as much buzz, and that's Sagrada. That came out roughly the exact same time. It was a pretty colorful drafting game, just like Azul was. But you were drafting dice. And Sagrada, on top of that, had this extra puzzle on top of it, To it felt like to me, because you're placing the dice that you draft on your board, but you can't place colors next to each other, but you also can't place dice of the same number next to each other. And in, in, my, in my opinion, that elevated Sagrada above Azul. I have played Azul enough times now to appreciate it for what it is, and it has grown on me. I like it better than I did when I first played it, because I have lost, and I go, oh, maybe I'm not excellent at this game like I thought I was. So that brings me to the very important question. Are you giving Azul a board game famous gold star? Uh, I'm going to give it a half a gold star. What about you? Well, I haven't bought it. I don't own it either. Maybe I don't give it a gold star. At most, even though I really enjoy it, I don't think I can give it a gold star. And I'm trying to decide if I can give it a half a gold star so that between the two of us, we fusion ha and give it a single gold star. Well, I mean, it's sold It's sold over a million copies. People love it. It's very pretty. The game is great. It's tactically pleasing. All right, so I say for this arbitrary scoring system, I can give it a half a gold star. You can give it half a gold star. And then with our powers combined, it gets one gold star. Sounds good to me. I think I want to do that. I want that crazy rating system in there. So we can say, as as an outsider, I can say that is a very good game. Yep. It's not for me. Half a gold we're gonna, star. We're going to call it a uh, single gold star split decision. That's way too long of a name. <laughs> The next section is Game Time with your host, Michael. A new segment. Hooray! So I thought it'd be fun to do something new for this episode. So what I have done is pulled up the rules PDF 
for several games. And while I'm not going to read the entire flavor text that is listed in them, I'm going to be reading snippets of them. And David, the guest today in this game time, is going to guess the game. Some of these will be easy. Some of these, I hope, will be harder, or this will be a <laughs> my goal, game. My goal is to show off my superior knowledge of board games and make you weep. And my goal is just to show you how silly some of these board game descriptions are. <laughs> now, I, I, I have a question. Are these all games I have played? Uh, these are not all games you have played, but I tried to pick games that you should at least be culturally aware of. Okay. All right. Are you ready? Let's do this. And you can guess as soon as as you want. Alright, first one. You are a monarch, like your parents before you. A ruler of a small, pleasant kingdom of rivers and evergreens. Unlike your parents, however, you have hopes. Dreams. You want a bigger... Buzz, buzz. Alright, what's your guess? Is it Dominion? It's Dominion. I actually knew that. I, you weren't looking. I raised my finger when I knew what it was. I can't see you. Okay. Okay, uh, so now that we've got, now that we've established that the visual cue doesn't work, oh yeah, I knew what that one was immediately. You are a monarch, Dominion. <laughs> I've read that, I've read that intro so many times. I was wondering if you've actually read the intro for how many times you've played this. Oh yeah, all every single expansion has a comedic intro. That's one thing I like about Dominion. It's like, oh, here's a, it's a deck building game with a vaguely feudal theme. Here's a joke about it. Now let's ignore the theme completely. <laughs> The next line was literally, you want a dominion. <laughs> <laughs> All right, I'll, I'll buzz in earlier next time. All right. Uh, yeah, I, I figure I start with an easier one. Number two, Odin Allfather, in, in his wisdom, always knew Ragnarok would come. He never found a way to prevent the destruction of Midgard. Lesser creatures can only cower and wait for the end. That's not Blood Rage, is it? It's Blood Rage. Okay. Two for right. two. Two for two so far. Number three. Louis XV reigns in France, and it's the height of fashion to attend his lavish balls, where important luminaries dress up in extravagant gowns. Buzz? Was that it? Rococo? It is. I have not played Rococo. I want to, but the fact that it was reprinted with the uh, only the deluxe edition kept me from buying it. That is explicitly the rules from the deluxe edition. Oh, is it? <laughs> yes. I, I uh, tried to debate which version of the rules. All right, you ready for number four? You're three for three. Let's do it. Several varieties of trees compete to grow and spread their seed Buzz. in the sunlight. That's got to be photosynthesis. Yep. That's got to be photosynthesis. <laughs> I've played three out, of the, three out of the four. I own three out of the four. Yeah, you just don't own Rococo. Number five. Throughout most of this age, the Lazak still held authority without question. Buzz, that's Except gotta be Twilight Imperium. Yeah. Lazaks is a great faction in Twilight Imperium. My 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 favorite thing is every single uh, paragraph in the flavor text of the of this is it says either Megatol, <laughs> Twilight, <laughs> or Imperium. <laughs> <laughs> Alright. This is gonna be a short one. Hit me. You've gotten perfect so far. This is number six. The game is set in a factory. And that, that's all I'm getting? That's all you're getting. All right. Um, is it factory fun? No. Is it fantastic factories? No. I can read more. All right. Give me one more sentence. You are ambitious workers trying to impress the factory manager in order to secure your careers. 
Is it a car game? Uh, yes. It's is it automobiles or uh, Kanban? It's Kanban. I got it. Yes. Yeah, the first sentence is too vague, but uh, the second sentence is all about uh, corporate climbing the corporate ladder. <laughs> Uh, is, is that a Vital Lacerda game? Yes, this is a Vital Lacerda. Vital Lacerda is one of those designers. I haven't played any of his games, but I really want to. Alright, are you ready? You've got a perfect score of 7 out of 7. You ready for number 8? Well, before we move on to number 8, uh, what? how are you defining a perfect score? Do I get three guesses? I'm going to consider that last one a perfect score. I gave you a very vague statement. Okay. We're kind of doing it loosey-goosey. Sounds good. As the host, I'll decide if you can't get it. The loosest of gooses. Yep. All right, you ready for this? Let's do it. The year is 2048. A new economic war is raging. Rare Earth has become a key element in the construction of advanced new machinery and a major economic force around the world. The year is 2048. It's not Risk 2048, is it? (laughs) No, that'd be too easy. (laughs) 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 <laughs> that was three whole sentences, and if I read the next one, it's going to be obvious. Okay, don't, don't tell me yet. Private companies are arming the latest prototype submarines to dive into the world's depths in search of rare earth. Is it underwater cities? It's Captain Sonar. Really? Yes, that is that is the theme to Captain Sonar. I didn't realize that. I thought it was just a submarine battle game. <laughs> It's a futuristic submarine battle game about an, an obscure element that apparently we haven't discovered yet. <laughs> it doesn't feel very futuristic. No. <laughs> Where are my lasers in in uh, Captain Sonar? Well, in the year is 2048 and we're still using World War II technology to find each other. <laughs> that was a good pick. Yeah, you're a 7 out of 8. Are you ready for number 9? Let's do it. In the faraway land, a new age is dawning. The ashes of the old age have left the six kingdoms empty, and the twelve tribes scattered to the winds. Now is the time for a clever leader to unite them into a powerful alliance, skillfully using the unique talents of each tribe to control the kingdoms. Is this Rise of Tribes? This is not Rise of Tribes. I'm trying to figure out what it would be because there were some very specific numbers in there yeah so you have uh six kingdoms and 12 tribes and a partridge and a pear tree (laughs) (laughs) so it is an area control game guess how many areas six very good (laughs) oh i don't think that helps me though can't think of a game that's got 12 tribes all right what is it so you ready for the next line yes do you have the wit and the wisdom to become the next lord of Ethnos? Oh my gosh. <laughs> That's the theme behind Ethnos? <laughs> yep. <laughs> there was no mention of dragons. There was no mention of skeletons. Yes, so the 12 tribes are literally just the different mythological groups, like wizards. <laughs> <laughs> A tribe of wizards. I don't remember if it's the Czech Republic or Slovakia. But the outline of the island and ethnos is just that, the outline of that country. <laughs> Alright, so I'm going to have to take one word out of this or else it'll be too obvious. 
Is this the final one? Because I feel like 10 is a good. Uh, no, there's five more. All right, 14 it no, is. Wait, no, wait. There's six more, but I can take some out. No, I, I'd rather do 10 or 15. <laughs> okay, we'll do 15 because I did, I did a lot of work on this. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so number 10, you are seven out of nine right now. All right, I'm not going to give you any clues about this yet. Present day on an isolated island in the Pacific Ocean. And now this is a quote. The expedition is about to land on the shore. The scouts we've sent came back wounded, but we have confirmed the information we had. Not all dinosaurs have disappeared. On this island, a female lives with her babies. So far, we've seen five of them, but there might be more. Our Ooh, mission. Buzz. What? That's got to be a raptor. You are correct. That is uh. raptor. The word that I took out was Velociraptor. <laughs> no, the, the theme of the theme of Raptor is you've got to capture the five babies, or if you're yeah. playing as the Raptor, you've got to maul a certain amount of scientists to death. <laughs> yes, yes, it is. Uh, it's a very fun two-player asymmetrical. You're either the dinosaurs protecting your babies, or you're the scientists who are cruelly, cruelly capturing and evading this area. <laughs> <laughs> so you are eight out of ten. This is question 11. On a blustery autumn evening, five old friends met in the back room of one of the city's oldest and most private clubs. Each had traveled a long distance from all corners of the world to meet on this very specific day, October 2nd, 1900, 28 years to the day that the London eccentric Phileas Fogg accepted and then won a 20,000 pound bet that he could travel around the world in 80 days. So it's around the world in 80 days? Nope. The 20th anniversary. 28th. 28th anniversary of around the world in 80 days. That was going to be my guess before you said around the world in 80 days, by the way. I thought you gave it away. <laughs> when the story of Fogg's triumphant journey filled all the newspapers of the day, the five attended university together. Inspired by his impetuous gamble, and a few pints from the local pub. The group commemorated his circumnavigation with a more modest excursion and wager, a bottle of good claret to the first to make it to the Le Procope, uh, Le Procope in Paris. Is this steampunk rally? Nope. All right, I give up. What do you got? All right, I'll, I'll read the, uh, the next. No, just just tell me the name. Just tell me the name. It's Ticket to Ride. What? <laughs> Yep. Each succeeding year, they met to celebrate the anniversary and pay tribute to Fogg. And each year, a new expedition, always more difficult, with a new wager, always more expensive, was proposed. Now, at the dawn of the century, it was time for a new impossible journey, the stakes. One million dollars in a winner-takes-all competition. The objective? To see which of them could travel by rail to the most cities in North America in just seven days. That's the theme of Ticket to Ride? And whoever yes. wins is supposed to get a million dollars? Yes. <laughs> so you are not building truck and ticket to ride. You are, you are just traveling from city to city. Okay. I did a comic about Ticket to Ride, the theme of Ticket to Ride one time without reading the excerpt. And somebody corrected me on what the actual theme was. Uh, yeah. I did not go back and read it. Otherwise, I might have known this. <laughs> So that puts you 8 out of 11? I'm at least over half so far. All right. All right, you ready for number 12? Central Europe, around 1670 AD. The plague which has raged since 1348 
has finally been overcome. The civilized world is revitalized. People are upgrading and renovating their huts. Fields must be plowed, tilled, and harvested. The famine of previous years has encouraged people to eat more meat, a habit that we continue to this day. Is that Agricola? You are correct. That is Agricola. Wow! <laughs> Uwe Rosenberg's Agricola. I, I didn't realize that he was so uh, so hung up on that meat-eating tradition. Tradition! Tradition! tradition. <laughs> All right, number 13. Astronauts wanted. Scientists say there's a mysterious ninth planet located at the edge of our solar system. But despite all their efforts, so far they have been unable to provide substantial evidence of its existence. That's gotta be, uh, Buzz, that's gotta be the crew. That is correct. The crew, colon, the quest for Planet Nine. <laughs> uh, that was just a test to know if you knew the, uh, the subtitle to the crew. <laughs> <laughs> because I want, it doesn't say the crew in that part of the description, but... Right. It yeah. should be the crew, quest for Planet Ten, Rip Pluto. Uh, <laughs> All right, so I don't know if you've actually heard of number 14, but I've included it as a shout-out to one of our listeners who uh, we have played board games with before. This is one of their favorite games, and it has one of the most ridiculous descriptions. Shout-out to that listener. You know who you are. (laughs) (laughs) All right, uh, so number 14. American baseball was on its last legs as a spectator sport. Football has become the predominant national pastime. That is, until the year 2032, the year baseball decided to revolutionize the game and regain the throne. Starting in 2032, baseball games were shortened to six innings. Pitchers were encouraged to have bionic arm implants to improve their pitching. The cyborgs, or borgs as they are now affectionately known, were immediately popular and soon ruled the league. Alright, so I knew this from the first word. Because there's really only one baseball-themed game out there. That's got to be baseball highlights. I don't know the year, though. Is it 2040? Is it 2041 or is it 2049? It's 2045, but I'll give it to you. <laughs> it's, it's a year. Ah, so they finally uh, jazzed it up. The next, yeah, the next statement, which I did not read, was uh, now in 2045, <laughs> human players are still in the game <laughs> and known as naturals. <laughs> <laughs> this is 11 out of 14. And now for the final question, which is the same amount of points. <laughs> I don't think we have ever discussed this game. I haven't played it, so we'll see if you know what it is. I received my new cauldron today. Finally, my laboratory is complete. For days, I've been gathering and drying ingredients in anticipation. What shall I mix first? Is this alchemists? This is alchemists. Yeah! <laughs> Very nice. I have well, uh... That's a pretty good score. I have I have a passing interest in Alchemist. I haven't had a chance to play it. It sounds super interesting, but I just like the idea of alchemy. So it looks like a it looks like a really fun game based on the theme, which is not something I normally go for. Yeah, I mean, uh, it's one of those games that's well reviewed that I haven't played. Plus, the description was very nice. It's got a really kooky looking figure on the box. Yeah. Oh, I had fun. Thanks for thanks for putting that together for me, and I'll uh, I'll get a game for you next time. Thank you. And that brings us to our next segment, Brother Banter. This fortnight, I wanted to talk about traveling with games. I'm about to head. I'm about to go on a vacation, so I've been uh, thinking about what games I want to travel with. 
But it also doesn't necessarily mean going on a big trip with games, but just taking games with you wherever you go. I like to live under the philosophy of every cafe is a board game cafe if you take a board game to that cafe. And they don't kick you out. And they don't kick you out. Uh, early Recently, my in-laws were in town uh, for my father-in-law's birthday. We went out to, uh, we went out to a local, local brewery, and uh, I grabbed Lie, which is a tiny little card game that we could all play around the table. We had a great time. And that illustrates one of the philosophies of uh, traveling with games is just having nice, light, portable games that you could take anywhere, pull out at any time. And I've started to get like a small collection of those. I've got Lie, which is part of the Paco game series, and that's like their entire philosophy. Every single one of their games looks like a, a, a pack of gum, which is why they're called Paco Game. I have a couple of the mint 10 series which started with mint works which fits in their games that come in like altoid mint size containers so you can slip them in your pocket take them wherever you want to go i'm i like i like some micro games uh one that i want to try out is sprawlopolis that one sounds really interesting uh that's just a card placement game you're building a cityscape of cards trying to meet uh trying to meet scoring requirements for that one what is the largest game that you would bring, like, size-wise, not... Well, I guess play area might come into it as well. But what's the largest game that you would bring with you, say, if you had to fly somewhere? If I had to fly somewhere? Because if you're driving a car, you could theoretically just put board games in the trunk and then pull those out as needed. Right, and that's and that's what Ellen and I have done. We've traveled, we've car camped, or stayed at uh, Airbnbs with... Scythe, we've stayed at the Airbnbs with Gloomhaven. We've brought our biggest possible games with us uh, whenever we were driving some places. The biggest possible game that I have personally flown with is Near and Far. And the the strategy that you have to adopt is you have to strip the game of all non-essential components. You can't bring the box. Uh, so I cut out some cardboard to fit all the boards, the storybook and everything against. So I, I put them all in like pieces of cardboard and stuffed them in a, in a bubble wrap envelope. And that was in my carry-on. So I had all the bits and pieces necessary for near and far. And that is by far my most impressive feat. Where uh, did you take this? <laughs> we flew to uh, Seattle. <laughs> oh, nice. And that, that wasn't even the only game that we had. That was just the largest game that we had. What uh, other games did you bring with you besides Near and Far? I mean, you don't want to play the same game over and over and over on a vacation. It's meant to relax. We played several games. We probably brought, I think I brought um, Broom Service, which I traveled to uh, our local cafe with the other, uh, the other day. We played Broom Service and at the cafe. Had a lovely time. I lost. Um, <laughs> speaking of games and coffee shops... I want to shout out to these two guys. They're not listening to this podcast. I don't know who they are. This could have been the board game Misconnection. They were playing a board game at our local coffee shop, but it wasn't one of those micro games that I was mentioning, and it also wasn't it wasn't broom service or anything like that where it had a reasonable sized board that you can fit on a table. These two guys were playing too many bones at a coffee shop. They had stacks of chips everywhere. They had neoprene mats out on the table. They had dice trays. It was, they had set up for the day. They're like, we're going to go to our favorite coffee shop and we are going to game. <laughs> we're going to take up a lot of real estate. <laughs> we're going to game. I saw it. I'm not even mad. I'm just impressed. 
Yeah, I I, uh, I don't typically bring large board games with me on travels. I've never done the deconstruction and repacking thing. Call me simple, but I like to travel light. I did bring silver and gold on my last camping trip, mainly because the components are super... All you need is a table for your cards. Oh, it doesn't even have to be a big table. Something to set it on, and you got markers, and everything races super easy. Well, Ellen and I are about to go on vacation right now, and we currently have... Let's see. I can count the stack from here. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight games that we're taking, and... We were working on this the other di- the other night where we are bringing only the essential components to these games. And what we're going to do is we're going to, uh, we took pictures of the boards and we're going to draw what we need on pieces of paper once we get there. Most of these games are card based. So we have, um, we're just taking all the cards from all the games. We bought a, we bought a dedicated card protector for travel. So this is something that's designed to protect a bunch of your magic decks. This is holding all of our board games, and it is chock full of different decks of cards from all the games that we're bringing. And just to clarify, are you going to a place with a city for the entire vacation where you think you would have access to a board game cafe? Or no, and so you're bringing all these components that while you're on vacation, you want to have the variety. I'm going on vacation. I'm going to relax, and what I like to do to relax is play board games. So there's not going to be a board game cafe there, per se, so I'm going to take all the games that I want to play. <laughs> That's fair. I almost uh, bought a deck of cards to teach cribbage. <laughs> oh man, I love cribbage. One, one thing I also like to do is, you mentioned this earlier, go into the board game shops every, every yeah. place you go to. I like to pick up one small game while I'm there, and I, I can even remember... The game, like the the places I go based on the game that I got there. When we came and visited uh, you and Charlotte, Ellen and I picked up uh, Hanamikoji. But no, I don't, I don't travel or do as meticulous things as you do. Whenever I take off as much time as you are about to take off, I think I would have a more serious consideration about what I would take with me. Normally with vacation, I go to a place for a week where you are for the holidays. You bring all the games that I have <laughs> But if I'm taking a week off, like last year, I did Shenandoah National Park to Great Smoky Mountain National Park, and I hiked every day, and then I pretty much slept, ate and slept the rest of it. I mean, nothing's going to stop me from taking a, a game wherever I'm going. I took Bonanza down into the Grand Canyon. I took Lie down into the Grand Canyon. I, I'm, oh, yeah, yeah. I've got a game on me somewhere. Small games, but I'm talking big games. Right, I'm not gonna t- I'm not gonna be crazy and take a giant game on a long hike, but I've got something somewhere. I'm traveling with a board game. So yeah, I brought Skulls with me to uh, Guatemala only because our mom liked that game more than High Society, which is another game I have traveled with. You own High, high Society? I do own High Society. Yeah, you should bring that one uh, when we meet up for a cousin's wedding. You'll have to remind me because that is a nondescript time away. <laughs> this episode you know probably have already happened <laughs> but yeah i only travel with smaller games I'll, if i ever get to the point where i'm doing a longer travel and i need to bring a bigger and i feel like bringing a bigger game i'll report back on how that goes well ellen likes board games almost as much as i do so she she's she's in it with me it's nice to travel with a cohort like that
And without singing and musical accompaniment, it is now time for mail time. You say that without singing and without musical accompaniment, but I also have to point out that Steve is back. Steve is back. This one's for you, Steve. <laughs> that is a reference that is probably only relevant at time of recording and might not matter in the two months after this is released. <laughs> but we still don't want to be sued. <laughs> we love you, Steve. We love you, Steve. The question of this fortnight is, what's a game you'd love to see an expansion for? That's that's an easy answer for me. Uh, one of my favorite games is Quantum. It's an abstract strategy game set in space where you have dice on a board and you're moving your dice. Your your dice are your ships. You're moving your dice, conquering planets and attacking other players' dice. As you go about the game, you get these cards that give you special abilities, but it was never really expanded. There was one, one mini expansion for it that was kind of given away as a promo that I eventually got my hands on. But this game is begging for an expansion. I have actually made two fan expansions for this game. That's how much I think it needs an expansion. Just like, I want more content for this. If if they're not going to make it, I'll make it myself. And you can even find one of them on BGG. Oh, you published it? Yeah, I published it online. Uh, it's called Riches of the Galaxy variant for Quantum. Got out to those of you guys who still play Quantum. Check it out. Yeah, unfortunately, it's out of print right now. Because the uh, the designer is trying to find a way to produce an eco-friendly version of the game, which I can really respect. But uh, once you find that, print an expansion. <laughs> I think that's a pretty good answer, but I think for uh, my answer, this game has been out for a while, and uh, I definitely, uh, you know, it's it's well played. I'm surprised they haven't released an expansion for it yet, for how popular it is. But I think the board game that needs an expansion the most is chess. Uh, chess it really needs a expansion <laughs> is this your serious answer no, no, not a serious answer i just wanted to see what your reaction was well i was going to talk about the many many variants of chess that you could play that's essentially an expansion there's the uh, oops all queens chess all queens all the time <laughs> check check <laughs> no honestly i was thinking twilight imperium for a second but uh, for something that I think I would get to the table more often, Eclipse 2.0, I'd like uh, an expansion of that because I think it's pretty fun. I love the game. What would you like to see in the expansion? So in one of the expansions from the first edition, I believe, but I think that's now just a feature in second edition is a rare ancient technology. that. So the way that combat works in the game is, you know, you have a shield value and you basically hit on a certain number of a six-sided die, one through six. If they have a high shield, you're only going to hit on sixes. And if they have a low shield, you're going to hit on like threes and above and that kind of thing. Well, there is a special technology that uh, gives you a special die that has just hits and self-damage on them. So instead of rolling in value, it just tells you if you hit. But it also has the risk of also doing damage to your own ship. Hmm. And so... While I like the 1-6 to six combat tech, uh, mechanic of the game, and, you know, balancing upgrading your ships to have better shields, or balancing upgrading your ships to have greater speed so you move first so you can strike and hit harder and that kind of stuff, maybe some kind of expansion that plays with the dice mechanics a little bit and have different kinds of ships for different kinds of reasons. New tiles to explore. Just more content. 
That's that's a yeah, great more. type of expansion. Is just more stuff. Yeah. yeah, do do what the game does well and more of it. So, <laughs> I'm I'm a simple man. Just 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 more space. <laughs> This has been another Board Game Famous podcast. Thank you for listening. If you have any questions or comments, please email us at boardgamefamous at gmail.com and feel free to join our Discord. You can find the link for that in the description below. Hey, brothers, I know you're listening. When are we playing the game? <laughs> we haven't heard back yet. <laughs> uh. <Clock's> ticking. <laughs> All right, and that's it. Mm-hmm.